0: Have you ever felt that way, wishing you were more grounded, the extremes of life, the ups and downs seem to derail or mess with your faith? What if we had a grounded life? Well, in this series, we're looking at how wisdom can be just that, smarter, faster, stronger, but but not just becoming better in the ways of the world, but actually Finding the ways of God, becoming wiser in everything that we do helps us become the person that God created us to be. Trying harder doesn't seem to get us anywhere. But when we become wiser, we can move to where God wants us to be. So what is wisdom? It's pretty easy to spot what it's not. Here's a good example. The London newspaper reported they gave John Bloor the rubber cushion award when he mistook a tube of superglue for his hemorrhoid cream. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not wise. That's bad. See, here's the thing. We are not born wise. We have to learn wisdom. I don't know about you, but I made some pretty boneheaded decisions in my life. There are some unwise things that I've done that I regret. I regret when I was 12 years old, pouring gasoline into a styrofoam cup. Yeah, if you've never done that, don't. It melts it into this goo that you can never get off the garage floor. I regret the eighth grade, like all of it. I don't know about you. I regret recording over my daughter's video sonogram while my wife was pregnant with my daughter. And I regret that I recorded over it with celebrity boxing. Of all things. I regret that Greg Brady lost a Danny Bonaducci. These are things that we regret. Silly things, right? But when we look back at our life, I am certain, if you're anything like me, there are things, unwise things I've done that have hurt me or hurt the people I love. But the scriptures tell us there's a better way. There's a way of wisdom. Listen to this. James, Jesus' half-brother, writes this about wisdom. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly and spiritual and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure It is peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. See, James is contrasting the wisdom of the world. Wisdom of this world is jealous competition and selfish ambition versus God's wisdom, the fruit of which is purity, peace, and gentleness, a willingness to yield to others. And yet here we are living in The United States of America, one of the most educated, wealthiest nations in world history, and yet we are not wise at all. If you look at some statistics, this will blow your mind. It'll break your heart. Most surveyed Americans' top goal is to one day have a family that stays together and half blow up. None of us want to become enslaved to addictions. Yes, about one out of every three Americans are. We never set out to lose our temper or sexual desires, but 25% of children are sexually or physically abused before the age of 18. We all seek contentment, yet 98% of Americans say they still don't have enough, even though we have more than 95% of the rest of the world. We need wisdom in how to live, but how? We have learned how to live from someone. It, it, it could be that we've learned from our parents, and for some of us, we just do the opposite of what we grew up seeing our parents do, but even still, we're being influenced by our parents. Listen to what Dallas Willard said. He was a professor of philosophy at USC, and he said this, one thing is sure, you're somebody's disciple. You learn how to live from somebody else. There are no exceptions in this rule. For human beings are just the kind of creatures that have to learn and keep learning from others how to live. So whose disciple are you? Who are you following? See, a disciple is an apprentice in living. I wonder whose wisdom influences you? Whose ways do you follow? And the answer in life will be seen in the fruit of how you live. Do people come to you because they see such wisdom? Or do you find yourself struggling with the ups and downs of life without being grounded? Maybe you think, you know what, I don't follow my parents. I get wisdom from the internet. It's a great place, right? Have you ever Googled the word wisdom? You don't need to. I did it for you. And there are 73 million websites that mention the word wisdom. Wisdom. How can you sift through all of that and, and, and figure out what is wise? Well, once again, I've helped you with that. Let me give you just some of the best nuggets i found on wisdom from the Internet. See if this helps you. A rule of living. Here it is. When everything is coming your way, you're in the wrong lane. Just a great piece of advice. The sooner you fall behind, the more time you'll have to catch up. Very positive outlook. Never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups. Mm -hmm. Or this one is my favorite. If you lend someone $20 and never see him again, it was probably worth it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or how about this one? This sounds like uh, wisdom from a Texan. Give a man a fish and he will eat for a day. Teach him how to fish and he will sit in a boat and drink beer all day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now we've been looking at the book of Proverbs written by Solomon. If you remember on the first week of this series, we, we talked about how Solomon, when asked by God what he wanted, he asked for wisdom. And it was an incredibly wise thing to ask for. He became the wisest man on the planet. And the Proverbs that he wrote can, can actually help us and inform us in how to live. And the beginning of Solomon's life was quite remarkable. In fact, he was this... Amazing poet and, and if you've ever read the Song of Solomon, you know he was madly in love with his wife and he writes, it's, it's, a, it's a rated R kind of book and we're not gonna go into all of that today but I will give you a couple of good pickup lines from the Song of Solomon. Here, here's one, your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. <laughs> she loves it when you say that. Or how about this one, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon which is a really good thing. And then in his wisdom, he ruled the people of Israel in what is known as the Golden Age. It is said that in those days, silver was as common as stones in Jerusalem. Trade flourished. Leaders from other countries around the planet would come to see the temple, to talk to Solomon, to see his and learn from his wisdom, to to hear about the God of Israel. Artistic talent flourished. Solomon composed 1,000 songs and 3,000 proverbs. But in the midst of his wisdom, see, something happens in the human condition. Once we think we've arrived and the humility that got us to the place that we are soon disappears and turns into pride. And Solomon did not follow the wisdom he wrote about in the book of Proverbs. By the end of his reign, Solomon had squandered away every advantage. This poet who wrote of his love for his wife actually broke every record of promiscuity. This wise man who had written the Proverbs broke most of them along the way and lived a life of extravagance and found himself despairing. In fact, he writes in the book of Ecclesiastes that he tried the wisdom of this world, he tried everything under the sun, and what he discovered was it's all meaningless. 33 times he writes the word meaningless. If you want to be discouraged, read the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> but by the end of this journal, lamenting how the ways of this world led him down a dark path where he lost everything, he actually comes right back to what he said at the very beginning. Listen to the end of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. That might sound familiar. See, at the very beginning of the Proverbs, he talks about how it's the fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom. But when we forget that, we, like Solomon, can drift into dangerous places. See, there's a wisdom in this world about how to get the most out of life and it will lead us to meaninglessness. But when we follow after the ways of God, the ways of wisdom, we learn how to love God and love people. We become people of purity and gentleness, selflessness. Hey, Listen to Proverbs 9. Solomon writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, we've talked about this before. Whenever you read a passage from the scripture and it doesn't make sense, allow the scriptures to interpret the scriptures. When you and I hear the word fear of the Lord, it it might confuse us. And in fact, some of us grew up afraid of God. In fact, we grew up in church contexts that actually was all about freaking us out, making us afraid. But that's actually not what's happening here. The fear of God means to respect God more than anyone else, to have an awe or reverence for God, to worship God and God alone, to bow down. Here's some other passages that help us understand what it means to fear the Lord. Psalm 33, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. Or this one, Psalm 128, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. See, to fear the Lord means you respect Him, you believe Him, you trust Him so that you walk in His ways. Or Psalm 33, verse 18, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love. To fear God means your hope is in God. You don't put your hope in the ways of this world, but you put your hope in Him. And here's what's amazing, that love of God casts out all fear so we don't need to fear other people. See, many of us, have every intention to go in the way of God, but then we allow other people's view of us and perspective of us distract us. We allow the fear of people to become more important than our fear of God. True wisdom for living starts with allowing our creator, the one who made us, to be the one whose opinion matters most. Now, if you have a problem with your car, the best place to go to get it fixed is to the car maker. If you have a problem with your computer, the best, best place to go to get it fixed is the, the company that made the computer. So why is it when things aren't going well in our life, we tend to stay away from going to God first? I think it's because we know if we go to God when things are falling apart, he's gonna ask us to do things we already know we don't wanna do. But that's where the ways of wisdom are counter to the ways of this world. It it, it doesn't look the same. It it is far more selfless, which is harder to do. But here's the beautiful thing. See, God is with us and he wants to help us. He's not leaving us all alone in this. In fact, he came and, and walked among us Isaiah, the prophet, 700 years before Jesus walked on planet Earth, wrote these words in Isaiah chapter 11. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, talking about the Messiah. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. In a person, God in the flesh, in Jesus came wisdom, counsel, might, understanding, Knowledge. He is the one that we should follow. He is the one who should be the one with whom we apprentice under. Or in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1 says this God is united to you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God, He made us pure and holy, and He freed us from sin. If we want to live a life of wisdom, then we need to follow the one who is wisdom personified. Become his disciple, his learner, his student. See, Jesus, when he walked among us, he taught with incredible authority and he did the miraculous. And you might be here and you respect Jesus. In fact, you may have even had a moment in your life where you've decided to follow after Jesus, but every day we have the opportunity to decide, are we gonna follow in the ways of Jesus? Or are we gonna do our own thing? Every day we have the opportunity. In every relationship, in every context, we have to decide, are we going to go the ways of Jesus or our own way? See, God made us for a loving relationship with himself, and he gives us the freedom to choose. And in the midst of that freedom, he came to rescue us. Not only teaching with authority and healing the masses, but also in ultimately dying on the cross, taking on himself sin and evil so that as he rose from the dead, he offers his spirit and forgiveness to all who ask for it. Listen to this from Matthew 13. Jesus, claiming to reveal God, says this. Coming to his hometown, Jesus began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? They were so confused because they knew Jesus. He was fully human, and yet the things he was saying did not sound like anyone else they'd ever heard. I, I think they had in their mind that the Messiah would come riding out of heaven on a horse They didn't have the the expectation of the Messiah as he actually came, humbling himself, becoming an infant, dependent on mom and dad, and then growing up and taking care of his family as a carpenter. It was only the last three years of his life that he began to proclaim his identity, the son of God. He taught with wisdom and authority. Listen to this story. It was amazing what began to happen. Matthew 9, some people, brought to Jesus a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now if you stop right there, I'm sure you can imagine, that would be a little bit disappointing. They carried their friend who could not walk. They could have carried him for miles. And Jesus did not heal him physically in that moment. He did something far more miraculous. He healed him spiritually. See, spiritual healing lasts for all eternity. The amazing thing in the scriptures is there are all sorts of people who were healed physically. Lazarus was risen from the dead, but guess what happened a few years later? He died again. People who could not see were made to see, and then eventually they too died. But the greatest miracle was he can forgive sins. He can forgive us, make us clean, bring us into a right relationship with God some of the teachers of the law heard this and said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? By the way, wouldn't that have been creepy? Every time you had a, a whisper with some of your friends and Jesus was like, hey, I could hear that. <laughs> he goes on to say, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, the Messiah, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. Now, fear isn't the word that you would think, right? But when you think of it as awe and reverence and a little bit of fear, (laughs) this guy can hear what we're saying. He He can... heal the paralyzed and even more remarkable like God he can forgive he can heal our hearts see not only did the eyewitnesses who wrote the 27 books of the new testament claim that Jesus was God but you also see that he demonstrated authority that even non-believers were in awe of Josephus a Jewish Roman historian in Jesus' day wrote this. Now there arose about this time a source of further trouble in one Jesus, a wise man who performed surprising works, a teacher of men who gladly welcomed strange things. He led away many Jews and many Gentiles. He was the so-called Messiah. Pilate condemned him to the cross. See, Josephus reported common knowledge of Jesus, that Jesus was a wise teacher. He was doing miraculous things. And some of us might think, you know what, it's hard for me to believe. If only I could see Jesus in the flesh. But here's the thing. There are a lot of people who did see Jesus and still did not believe. There's a great book I've referenced many times. Andrew Clavin, an author, a novelist whose books have turned into movies, grew up as a secular Jew and came to follow Jesus in his 50s. And what he says is that when you believe, the evidence is all around you. But when you don't believe, no evidence will ever be enough. Is your heart open to God's evidence of his love for you? Are you hard-hearted, closed-minded to where God's ways don't seem to make sense or penetrate? There's this beautiful story in the scripture where Jesus encounters this man whose daughter was sick and this man asked Jesus, would you please heal my daughter? And Jesus says, I can heal her if you will believe. And the man says, I do believe. But help me with my unbelief. It's one of the most honest prayers in the scripture. Maybe that's where you're at today. Do you believe? And if not, are you willing to ask God to help you with your unbelief? Do you believe he can heal you? Heal your heart. Do you believe he can heal your marriage? Do you believe he can guide you in a new path that whatever you have done can be forgiven? Whatever consequences you are facing can be persevered and endured through? Do you believe? And if you struggle, then ask God to help you with your unbelief. Matthew, Mark, excuse me, Mark 6 says this, many who saw the disciples leaving recognized them, and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. See, the crowds were amassing to see Jesus. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and so he began teaching them many things. Thousands of people would come to hear Jesus speak. He taught with such authority, like no one they'd ever heard before, and no one who's ever come since. There must have been something pretty amazing, something remarkably compelling, and they would sit there on a hillside all day, skipping breakfast and lunch for hours. It's hard for us just to sit in this room for one hour and listen to me. And we even have tacos and donuts to help. But Jesus had such remarkable things to say. He was worth the sacrifice. But not everybody loved what Jesus was saying. The scriptures tell us that the religious leaders felt threatened because all of a sudden, Jesus was offering a one-way relationship with God that did not require the religious laws. And so they felt threatened and so as a result, they began to plan against him. They began to falsely accuse him of being demonic. Now it's fascinating because they don't dismiss or deny that he was doing the miraculous. They just try to ascribe the miraculous to the forces of evil. And Jesus rebukes them and says this in John 8, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father and you dishonor me. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Now Jesus wasn't talking about physical death, but the wisdom of God that leads to an eternal quality of life that starts now and goes on for all eternity. If you're needing wisdom in your relationships, If you're needing wisdom in your life, why not start with wisdom personified? Start with Jesus. Go to Jesus. Let him guide you out of whatever mess you might be in. Matthew 16. If any of you want to be my followers, Jesus said, you must forget about yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you wanna save your life, you will destroy it, but if you give up your life for me, you will find it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Jesus points out this great paradox of life. When we focus on ourselves and getting all that we can to bring us happiness, which is the world's wisdom, we actually lose the very thing we're trying to find. The ways of this world lead to meaninglessness. But instead, he says to die to self, take up your cross daily. Now in those days, the Roman government would crucify criminals right outside the town. And every day, coming into town or leaving the town, you would see people on crosses. Could have been a neighbor, could have been a family member, could have been a friend. And so this image, a brutal image of taking up your cross daily, they knew exactly what Jesus meant. He meant be willing every day to die yourself but that is completely counter to the ways of the world that is exactly the opposite of what the world tells us but Jesus is saying if you want to experience the fullness of life you actually need to die to yourself he was trying to shock us into facing the spiritual law as real as gravity if you center life on yourself you will lose it but if you learn to die daily to self at the center, to live for something bigger than yourself, to live for God at the center, and then others, you'll find the life you're looking for. There's an old story of a Navy warship heading through the fog. When in the distance, a, they could see a light coming towards them. As they held course, the light got brighter and closer. They were obviously on a collision course. Just then a voice came over the radio. Attention, calling the vessel, traveling at 220 degrees. Adjust your course 30 degrees immediately. The captain of the warship responded, This is the vessel heading 220 degrees. You adjust your course 30 degrees. Negative, captain. You adjust quickly, came the reply. The captain was incensed. I'm an admiral in the United States Navy. Whom am I speaking to? The response was, I'm an ensign in the U.S. Coast Guard. The captain said, I outrank you, and we are a U.S. Navy warship. I command you to adjust course immediately. Sorry, sir, we can't do that. We are a lighthouse. (laughs) See, some things are just bigger than us. They transcend us. God transcends us. And yet we tell God to adjust to us. Our prayers are us demanding of God, and when he does not answer them the way we want, we choose not to believe in him anymore. But what if this loving God can be trusted even when circumstances are at their worst? What if we could experience the fullness of God's love and grace no matter what we might face in this broken and messed up world? Psychologist and author Henry Cloud says this, I would have to say that one question hovers above all others in importance of a person's functioning in life. It is the question, are you God or not? Now that might seem like a silly question, but even for those of us who are followers of Jesus, if we're not careful, we can shift right back to being the center of our universe. As if everyone exists for our purpose, building our own little kingdom The world tells us, when you're not getting what you need, leave. The world tells us there's nothing bigger than us. Not God, not marriage, not parenting, not church, not society, not loyalty. But the problem is this self-centered wisdom is leading us to meaningless life. But when we let go of ourself at the center, when we ask Jesus to guide us, to be not only our rescuer, but our leader, our Lord, and ask him to help us every day die to our selfishness. Instead, follow after him in his ways. We will find the fullness of life. John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus offers us life as it was intended. Not shaken up by the ups and the downs, but grounded in a relationship with him, following after him in his ways? Are you allowing God to be God in your life? I want to invite you, if this is the first time, or if it's the one millionth time, in this moment to recalibrate your heart with God's heart. The only requirement to be right with God is to give up pretending that you're perfect or in control or good enough. That's us playing God. See, Jesus died to pay for all of our acts of treason, big and small ways that we play God. God in his great love for us paid the cosmic price of forgiveness to reestablish a loving relationship with all who want a relationship with him. Matthew 28. Jesus said, I've been given all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so this morning, we invite you to acknowledge, to connect your heart to this idea that God is with you. He wants to guide you into the life he created for you. Rather than trying to manufacture peace and joy, experience the one who is peace, who brings joy. And if you've followed Jesus for a long time but, but maybe have found yourself drifting, I wanna invite you during this next song to recalibrate your heart, reconnect your heart. Maybe you've grabbed hold of something You've taken back from God. You've decided that you know what's best. In this next song, you can let go of that. Let God be God in your life, in every area of your life. And maybe you're here and you, whether it was today or recently, that at some point in your life, you've said, I need Jesus to forgive me. I need new life. If that's you and you've yet to declare that to the world, that's just been something inside, I wanna invite you to get baptized today. Now for some of us, our parents made a decision for us when we were young, and that's beautiful. And in many ways, being baptized now is fulfillment of their hope. But being baptized is a symbol that you have died to your old life and you're walking a new life. It's a symbol of being forgiven of everything you've ever done or ever will do by the one who gave everything for us. And so what I wanna invite you to do during this next song, it's a little different than normal, We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing, but if you're here and you want to be baptized, I wanna invite you to go out through this door that says exit and go check in at the table and we would love to baptize you. You may not have come planning on that, and that's okay. Just take your phone out of your pocket and we'll baptize you in your jeans and give you a towel, a memento of this day. (laughs) But don't hesitate to reconnect your heart to God, whatever it may be that he has. He has something for you, all of us in this room to take a next step in trusting him more. So let's stand together, and during the song, if you wanna be baptized, head outside, otherwise take advantage of this moment, reconnecting with God. Let's pray together. God, we sing these words that you reign, and I pray that would be true in every area of our life. You would not just reign over this universe, but that you would reign over every relationship and every decision and every day in our life, that we would allow you to reign, to guide and direct, that your ways would become our ways, that others would look to us so we can point them to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.